welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. My name is David Wojnicki. I serve on the advisory board here with IBCD and I'm privileged uh, to be a pastor at Valley Center Community Church. And with me today as part of the Summer Institute 2016 is Deborah DeWert. And Deborah, it is so good to have you with us. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thank you. You know, um, for those of you that that don't know, let me just give a a little bit of a background, and then I got a question for you. Uh, Deborah, you went to a Westminster Theological Seminary, got got your training there. That's correct. And then uh, you went on to um, become an attorney as well, so some education. So, So here's my first question. It's not every day I get to talk to somebody who's a biblical counselor and an attorney. So I don't know how long that story might be, but uh, share with us, how did that come about? How did the, how did you go from seminary to then being an attorney to then working with biblical counseling? Share with us a little bit about how that came to be. I'm actually a former psychologized counselee. Okay. And in the late 80s, I saw a psychologist leave her profession and go into ministry. And I heard her make a comment about how the psychology that you need to learn to get a license is diametrically opposed to the Bible. And I had never thought about that before, but I knew psychology wasn't working. So I knew I had to explore this issue, so I began to read. And that reading eventually led me to Jay Adams' books. And, I, and that, those books were just resonated with me, helped me tremendously. Even though they were for counselors, yeah. I could apply them. Absolutely. And I saw CCEF in San Diego. And that wasn't too far away. I lived in Orange County, California at the time. So I started taking some of their classes. One of the classes had an assignment to write a critique of a Christian psychologist and a critique of a secular psychologist. When I had to put it down in black and white on paper, it helped straighten out my own thinking. I got on a roll, and the result is now a website. It's christiandiscernment.com. But anyway, a lot of those classes were held at the seminary, at Westminster Seminary. And so I was hanging around the seminary all the time, talking to people, doing research in the bookstore on the floor instead of the library and picking up brochures, and next thing you know, I thought, I need to enroll. (laughs) If I'm going to write these critiques, I need to have the same level of theological training as the Christian psychologists who are taking Greek and Hebrew words and making them mean things they don't mean in English. Mm. So I went to seminary for six years and took everything I possibly could. Meanwhile, as I was writing these publications and sending them out to people, occasionally I would get a request from a prisoner. There was a prisoner in Wisconsin who read some of my stuff and wrote me a letter that just blew me away. He had been told that if he ever wanted to get out of prison on parole, he would have to go through some psychological counseling program, which he realized was unbiblical. Here's a guy in prison that realizes that psychology is unbiblical. And he said, if Jesus could go to the cross and die for my sins, then I would rather spend the rest of my life in prison than compromise his word. And I, wow. I mean, if only we had more testimonies like that. 
and that got the wheels turning because he also mentioned the First Amendment and said there must be a First Amendment challenge here, and he quoted the Wisconsin Constitution about the right to worship God. (laughs) (laughs) A little preview of what I would be doing as a lawyer. Yeah. When I finished seminary in the fall, I wrote enrolled in law school. (laughs) Were you a glutton for punishment? I I guess so. The kind of thinking that you have to do for seminary and for law school are very similar. Actually, seminary was much more work than law school. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody. (laughs) But I love both of them, and they both came to me naturally, and going to seminary, it was just such a blessing, even though it was hard work. I like intellectual work, (laughs) and every class was just... And personally a blessing. And it was a blessing to be around all of these Christian people. Even the classes that weren't counseling classes, I could see them through a counseling lens and how they applied. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you graduated then law school, so now you have your seminary degree, you, uh-huh. you have your law, law degree. How has God been using you and using those two things Uh, since that time in your life? What kind of ministry opportunities has God been doing? Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, besides the publications that I just mentioned, one thing that I started doing when I was going to seminary is ministry with young children. So I've kind of got more than one hat that I wear here, the writing, the law, and a music ministry to kids. I learned ventriloquism and started to write songs and did volunteer work with abused children. And I have a little rabbit that sings. And that has grown over the years. And that's something that I use my seminary training there to, for as ministry to young children. And that actually ties in with the legal work that I do because, well, the ministry ties it all together. But we have a lot of challenges in our country right now, as you know, from just turning on the news. Um, And we need to reach the younger generation. So that's kind of how it ties together. One of my law professors formed a nonprofit corporation, and I got started writing these briefs, friend of the court briefs, on constitutional issues, First Amendment issues, religious liberty, and things like that. And that's become so vitally important. Only God knew how important that was going to be when I started that. And so this law professor started me writing in the Supreme Court, and I've been working my way down ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's a very unique mix, the way that God has pulled those things together in in you, in in one person, Um, but so very timely right now. And uh, there's a number of avenues of questions I'd like to ask. I mean, I got my pastor hat, I got my (laughs) biblical counselor hat, I just have my Christian hat, but, but let me just kind of start with a... Well, maybe with a broader, broader one, when you see kind of the the lay of the land right now, Mm -hmm. um, as far as law is concerned within our country, what are some of the things that you're encouraging churches and specifically their leadership? Just saying, here are the things that you need to be aware of. I want to come back to what things do biblical counselors need to be aware of legally. Mm -hmm. Let's first just talk about the church as a whole, you're saying, this is what I see is is coming, or this is what you need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. if you're not. Well, churches certainly need to be aware of what's going on in the culture and what's going on in the courts, Mm. like the all the issues with the homosexuality and transgenders and 
right to life. I mean, and there's some really critical issues there. They need to be aware of it and help educate people so that they can be um, good citizens mm. and not just hide in a church bubble. I would love to hide in a bubble. I don't like this. I used to not turn the news on. <laughs> yeah. But we can't be clueless anymore. We need to be aware of what's going on and know how to vote intelligently and biblically. So that would be one thing. And also churches need to be aware of how to protect their own ministries so that they're not, they don't become embroiled in litigation that they don't need. And yet they still want to be an outreach to the community. Yeah. Is there any one particular area, one or two that you say, I find mm -hmm. that most churches maybe might be ignorant of protecting themselves in this in this way and so if you had the opportunity to speak to church leaders you'd say you know here's one or two things that if you're not protected or if you're not aware of you should have these things in place well they need to have well-written governing documents and written policies for example for the use of their facilities mm -hmm. um, a church might want to invite people from the community in for their wedding ceremonies and and receptions if you're going to do that, there needs to be a religious fence around it so that you're not hosting a ceremony that conflicts with your religious doctrine. And counseling, I mean, it's wonderful to minister to the community. And I know um, Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana, Steve Byers, they have a wonderful outreach. I mean, it just blows me away to hear about it. Um, and the important thing there, I think, is distinguish between the people who represent your ministry and the people who are potential beneficiaries of your ministry. Interesting. So you've got your pastor and your elders and your employees and people that volunteer and represent your ministry and your mission. They need to be on board with your mission and your religious doctrine. But then you want to minister to people. Yes. And, of course, you need good standards for membership, too, mm -hmm. and make sure people understand. And if you count, counsel, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Similar idea, though. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's helpful. The landscape is changing, and, uh, yes. and we don't want to be unaware. I really appreciate what you said there. You, we want to be lights. We want to love our community, but there are right. things that we need to be wise wise yes. about and uh and um and ministry that that you're a part of and, and those out there if, if pastors don't have that it's it would be wise right. to, to be engaged mm -hmm. what are some of the things that biblical counselors or biblical counseling ministry yes. you might say you know what here's things that they need to be aware of or ways in which maybe Biblical counselors might overstep their bounds. Are, are there are there cautions that you'd give to biblical counselors, just even on a legal ground? So it's kind of two questions, yes, but yes. you both broad from a mm -hmm. you know biblical counseling you know platform, then for the for a biblical counselor personally, are, are there things that we should be thinking about that we should be aware of? Yes, um, one thing to think about is churches have the highest level of First Amendment protection. Mm. It is better to have a counseling ministry under the church than to have a separate corporation, mm -hmm. if you can possibly do that. And I believe that for theological reasons, too. Sure. Um, it's best also not to charge fees. And I know there are different views on that, and that's another another whole issue. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean to or open a can of worms, but that can make a difference legally depending on the state. Okay. 
Uh, so those are things. Um, and informed, informed written consent. It's real important for people who come to you for counseling to know what your position is. Even though you okay. may be open to counseling people you know, or helping people who are not even believers, there you evangelize, as Jay Adams points out. <laughs> but you want to minister to people. You want people to come to the Lord. That's so important. But they need to, you need to make them aware of who you are and what you do and what you don't do. Mm. And I would draw a wide separation between biblical counseling and any kind of psychology or state-licensed counseling. There are some laws that pertain to state-licensed counselors that you don't want anything to do with, like the laws against helping minors with same-sex attractions. Besides the fact that the goal is entirely different from biblical, the goals of biblical counseling, legally you don't want to be in that position. You want to distinguish yourselves as biblical counselors. And so just for clarity's sake, at least right now as it stands, Mm -hmm. making that distinction or not making that distinction can open you up to certain regulations and yes. things that that you otherwise wouldn't be open to. And so it's important mm-hmm. to be to be clear about mm-hmm. that, both within your documentation and right. your presentation. The distinctions. Too. In fact, one, one good distinction has to do with confidentiality. Mm. Psychotherapists have to hold things in absolute confidence, pretty much. There are a few exceptions if there's a threat to harm a specific person, but generally it's just absolute confidence. Confidentiality. Whereas in the church, you might have a biblical obligation to if to go through the Matthew 18 process of church discipline. Mm-hmm. So you could have conflicting duties. And there was actually a case in Texas where um, a, a person was a, a man was a minister and a psychotherapist. I think he was a therapist, and then he went became the pastor of a church. And there was a counselee that. He counseled a person that he counseled in both roles, and there was a conflict that went to the Texas Supreme Court. Wow. Yeah, so it's real important to make that distinction as to who you are. I think that's helpful for those listening to, to hear that. Some people might walk away from our conversation and they might say, okay, who do I turn to if I have mm-hmm. additional questions on, on this, um, are there some resources that you would recommend uh, to to those listening to say, mm-hmm. here's where I would turn if you have questions, if you're if you're not currently seeking the wisdom or counsel mm-hmm. from others, um, there's a, here are a couple that I might recommend. There's some great resources, Christian legal resources. I don't know of anybody else that's in the biblical counseling movement per sure. se that has that angle, both the theological and the legal. But there's some great organizations, and um, the um, Alliance Defending Freedom is Mm. a great resource. They do litigation all over the country. Mm. That's a wonderful group. And then the Christian Legal Society has some good resources. Both ADF and the Christian Legal Society have some great resources. I think that that's that's important for people to know that they're they're not alone. These questions are right. being asked. These situations are arising, but mm-hmm. uh, don't go after it by yourself because that's right. uh, that that can lead to to a world of world mm-hmm. of hurt in that. Yes, um, you're having the opportunity to speak at the Summer Institute uh, a couple of different seminars, and uh, and in doing that, what's one of the the hopes that you have? If you could say, you know, here's here's a message. Here's a 
here's a thing that I hope people are hearing from me as I have the opportunity to speak. And, um, and so I'd be interested to hear, this, this is this is my burden. This is what I'm, what I'm hoping to communicate mm-hmm. in the time that I'm here. Well, pretty much what I've talked about, um, just to protect your ministry so that you don't find yourself, mm-hmm. your resources drained in litigation and to help your, and to be aware of what's going on in the world so that you help people that you counsel or minister to if they're faced with situations, say, in their workplace or their school or their families that are related to what's going on in the culture and in the courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a good reminder to to hear these things, and I'm just I just continue to be marvelled at how uh, the Lord helped to prepare you in His in His kindness <laughs> to to do what you're what you're doing now. And um, one final question that that I have is how have you seen your theological training um, impact your work as an attorney? Uh, what perspective mm-hmm. has it given you, and 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 how can you say, yeah, I see? Th- has it given you a different perspective? Well, yes, it has given me a worldview, mm. um, and some of the apologetic training that I had at Westminster has been very helpful. When I wrote a brief for the Supreme Court in the marriage case that they decided last year, yeah. I used my theological training to show that there were some logical problems in the way the same-sex couples were arguing their case. Mm. They were presupposing the new definition of ma- marriage that they wanted to establish, and without that presupposition, their legal arguments were incoherent. Mm-hmm. I don't know how carefully anybody read that. Sadly, the dissenting justices may have read it. But yeah. the case was about the definition of marriage, yeah. Yeah. what marriage is, as opposed to who can marry. I, I think I think what you hit on there is something that we must never forget any theological training. And I'm not just talking going to seminary. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the training that IBCD does. I'm sure. talking about the messages that we hear on Sunday mornings and part of our church communities. That worldview uh, helps to shape us. And uh, it doesn't matter if you go on and be an attorney or something else. Right, having that is right. so essential. Yeah. And in uh, and, and this, uh, this next season, I'll close with this question. This next season, um, how are you hoping to see God continue to use you? Where do you get looking now to kind of continue to give your energies and your efforts efforts to? Well, I continue to write briefs as cases come up. Mm. And I also have a real heart to develop the music ministry for children mm. to teach. And that's a good way to use the theological training. One of my, prof- my Greek professors said, if you cannot explain a theological concept to a five-year-old, you probably don't understand it. <laughs> So I, that's, I have a real heart to continue that and to leave a legacy after I'm gone because we need to reach the young ones. That's, that's important. Oh, that's, that's so wonderful. I I pray that God will continue to to bless and and flourish that ministry. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for all that that you're doing and uh, for coming out here and, and sharing with us, being a resource available to the counselors that, that are here. Uh, God bless you, you, Deborah. Thanks so much for being part of this. Thank you very much. Take care.